Please pray with me. Lord, as we come again and gather at the foot of your cross, your cross which transcends time and space, we pray truly that you would draw us together on this level ground. Lord, that as we look upon your cross, we would see the mercy, the grace, and the forgiveness that is there. Forgiveness that we so desperately need and long for. And the forgiveness that you know we so desperately need to be able to offer to others. Lord, minister the power of your cross this night. This night we come again, drawing together around the very core, the very center of what it is that we believe as Christ followers. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to stand in adoration at the foot of the cross. To see and be overcome once again by the lengths that the God of the universe would go to and has gone to in order to redeem us, his wayward children. Tonight we are confronted once again with just that, what that forgiveness means. And that's what I want to focus on this evening. Because here at the cross is where we come to really understand what it means to be forgiven, as well as what it looks like to extend forgiveness to others. As I said this past Sunday, giving and receiving forgiveness, as well as grieving our losses, are the essential work the Lord is inviting us into during this Holy Week, I believe, as Christ our hope, so that we can move forward with him in resurrection hope, giving and receiving and extending forgiveness, grieving losses, moving forward in so I want to do something rather different than my usual sort of homily this evening. Because as I've dug deeper into what it means, what it looks like to apply the forgiveness of the cross to myself, and to find here forgiveness to extend toward others, there's no single source that I have found better than a brilliant and brief essay written by C.S. Lewis in 1960. Rather than summarize it or incorporate it into something that I might say to you, I simply want to read it to you this evening and then offer some suggestions for applying the forgiveness of the cross at the very end. So here are the words of C.S. Lewis. He says, We say a great many things in church and out of church too without thinking of what we are saying. For instance, we say in the creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I'd been saying it for several years before I asked myself why it was in the creed. At first sight, it seems hardly worth putting it in. If one is a Christian, I thought, of course one believes in the forgiveness of sins. It goes without saying. But the people who compiled the creed apparently thought that this was a part of our belief, which we needed to be reminded of every time we went 
to church. And I have begun to see that, as far as I am concerned, they were right. To believe in the forgiveness of sins is not so easy as I thought. Real belief in it is the sort of thing that easily slips away if we don't keep on polishing it up. We believe that God forgives us our sins, but also that he will not do so unless we forgive other people their sins against us. There is no doubt about the second part of this statement. It's in the Lord's Prayer. It was emphatically stated by our Lord. If you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. No exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive other people's sins, provided they are not too frightful, or provided there are extenuating circumstances, or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them all. However spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, shall we shall be forgiven none of our own. Now it seems to me that we often make a mistake both about God's forgiveness of our sins and about the forgiveness we are told to offer to other people's sins. Take it first about God's forgiveness. I find that when I think I am asking God to forgive me, and I'm often in reality, unless I watch myself very carefully, asking him to do something quite different. I'm asking him not to forgive me, but to excuse me. But there is all the difference in the world between forgiving and excusing. Forgiveness says, yes, you have done this thing, but I accept your apology. I will never hold it against you, and everything between us two will be exactly as it was before. If one was not really to blame, then there is nothing to forgive. In that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposites. Of course, in dozens of cases, either between God and man or between one man and another, there may be a mixture of the two. Part of what at first seemed to be the sins turned out to be really nobody's fault and is excused. The bit that is left over is forgiven. If you had a perfect excuse, you would not need forgiveness. If the whole of your actions needs forgiveness, then there was no excuse for it. But the trouble is that what we call asking God's forgiveness very often really consists in asking God to accept our excuses. What leads us into this mistake is the fact that there usually is some amount of excuse, some extenuating circumstances. We are so very anxious to point these things out to God and to ourselves that we are apt to forget the very important thing. That is, the bit left over the bit which excuses don't cover, the bit which is inexcusable, but not, thank God, unforgivable. And if we forget this, we shall go away imagining that we have repented and been forgiven when all that has really happened is that we have satisfied ourselves with our own excuses. They may be very bad excuses. We are all too easily satisfied about ourselves. There are two remedies for this danger. One is to remember that God knows all the real excuses very much better than we do. If there are real extenuating circumstances, there is no fear that he will overlook them. Often, he must know many excuses that we have never even thought of, and therefore humble souls will, after death, 
have the delightful surprise of discovering that on certain occasions they sinned less, much less than they thought they did. All the real excusing he will do. What we have got to take to him is the inexcusable bit, the sin. We are only wasting our time talking about all the parts which can, we think, be excused. When you go to a doctor, you show him the bit of you that is wrong, say a broken arm. It would be a mere waste of time to keep on explaining that your legs and throat and eyes are all right. You may be mistaken in thinking so, and anyway, if they really are right, the doctor will know that. The second remedy is really and truly to believe in the forgiveness of sins. A great deal of our anxiety to make excuses comes from not really believing in it, from thinking that God will not take us to himself again unless he is satisfied that some sort of case can be made out in our favor. But that is not forgiveness at all. Real forgiveness means looking steadily at the sin, the sin that is left over without any excuse, after all allowances have been made, and seeing it in all its horror, dirt, meanness, and malice, and nevertheless being wholly reconciled to the man who has done it. When it comes to a question of our forgiving other people, it is partly the same and partly different. It is the same because here also forgiving does not mean excusing. Many people seem to think it does. They think that if you ask them to forgive someone who has cheated or bullied them, you are trying to make out that there was no not really cheating or bullying. But if that were so, there would be nothing to forgive. This doesn't mean that you necessarily must believe his next promise. It does mean that you must make every effort to kill every taste of resentment in your own heart, every wish to humiliate or hurt him or to pay him out. The difference between this situation and the one in which you are asking God's forgiveness is this. In our own case, we accept excuses too easily. In other people's, we do not accept them easily enough. As regards my own sins, it is a safe bet, though not a certainty, that the excuses are not really so good as I think. As regards other men's sins against me, it is a safe bet, though not a certainty, that the excuses are better than I think. One must therefore begin by attending to everything which may show that the other man was not so much to blame as we thought. But even if he is absolutely fully to blame, we still have to forgive him. And even if 99% of his apparent guilt can be explained away by really good excuses, the problem of forgiveness begins with the 1% of guilt that is left over. To excuse what can really produce good excuses is not Christian charity. It is only fairness. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. This is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, 
to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. A few brief prayerful applications I want to make as Lewis has led us into the contemplation of forgiveness. And the first, as we, the first two, as we apply forgiveness to ourselves, first I just want to go back to what Lewis says of trust God with the excusable bits. I've talked with far too many believers who, who are really wrapped up in worry in this way and need to hear and apply what Lewis says. God knows the extenuating circumstances of our lives. God knows the extenuating circumstances of your life and the excuses for our excusable actions. He knows them. He knows them better than we do. He probably excuses more than what we do. I love how Lewis points that out. So let those things go and leave them to God. Second, trust God to forgive the inexcusable. That's what the cross is about. That's why there's a Good Friday. That's why, even though we are removed from one another and we're doing all these technological things to make this kind of worship happen, this is why we're doing it. Because the cross assures us that God, if he could ex have excused our behavior, it wouldn't have been necessary. And yet, he chose the cross to forgive the inexcusable in you, to forgive the inexcusable in me. Receive that word and believe it. Cling to it, especially the next time those inner thoughts of, of uh, self-condemnation start coming back to you. Cling to that. Cling to it. There is something that you've been carrying, some sin you feel the guilt of and believe to be unforgivable. Hear again these words. Jesus went to the cross to excuse, rather not excuse, to forgive the absolutely unforgivable. And then as it comes to extending forgiveness, First, ask the Lord if there are places where you have not been as quick to excuse others as you are quick to try and justify and excuse your own behaviors. As Lewis so aptly points out, we are often too willing to accept our own excuses for our behavior and too unwilling to accept others. But then, even then, if there are still places where others have wronged you and are absolutely without an excuse, pray and ask the Lord to release, to, to help you release them, to not hold that in your heart over them, to, tr 
truly forgive here at the foot of the cross because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you and in me. By his grace, you can excuse the inexcusable in another. You can forgive it, not excuse it. Sorry, I misspoke. You can forgive the inexcusable in another. But only by his grace. So ask the Spirit and come to come and make that possible within you, to give you the grace to extend the work of the cross toward the others in your life, those that have wronged you, those who are without excuse. It's only by the Spirit that this can be done, so let's pray again. Lord, I ask for your grace to pour out upon my brothers and sisters, even as they're watching this. Lord, for those hearts, those souls that remain troubled and need to know, deeply know, that they are forgiven. Not just excused, but forgiven. Lord, come to that brother or sister. Come to their heart. Apply that work. And Lord, for any who are still carrying a burden trying to hang over the head of another. Lord, give your grace to release that. Empower your people to extend forgiveness, even to the inexcusable 1%. Lord, it's only by your grace that these things are possible. It's only by your great, mysterious will that you could have thought of your son dying on a cross to make these things so. And so I believe and know that you can make these things so in us and for us and with us. So Lord, Holy Spirit, do that work.